Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor joined again by Kyle Irving. KI, what's good, man? Not a whole lot, man. We are uh, officially past football season and we are into jumping straight into the NBA All-Star break and then the unofficial second half of the season. So for anybody who's tuning in late and, you know, was kind of trying to catch or is trying to catch up on what happened in the first half and what happened in the second half because you were too busy watching football, we got you covered. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the, the, the time of year, right? Like the trade deadline captures people's attention for like a day, maybe a week. Then you go straight to Super Bowl mode, like you said. But then the Super Bowl is behind you and then eyes do shift back to the NBA. All-Star Weekend is like perfectly timed, you know, for that reason. And obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about All-Star. But by the time you hear this, All-Star might be underway or it might have passed us by then but uh it's only right to talk a little bit about what's going on this all-star weekend i'm excited about it I, I think you are too we always talk about that every year regardless of however the year before went or whatever there is to be excited about or not be excited about um we get excited about all-star so of course we should talk, talk about all-star um on this show and we'll also talk a little bit about like you said the the first half of the season and look forward to the second half of the season because it is shaping up to be uh, a pretty good NBA season. It's been a good NBA season already, but we got to start with the proceedings in Indianapolis. Uh, NBA World is going to descend upon Lucas Oil Stadium and Gamebridge Fieldhouse this weekend. Um, and there's a lot to dig into. Uh, I guess, you know, we've talked a little bit about the rosters, talked a little about people who are going to be part- participating in certain contests. Um, the celebrity game, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say CJ Stroud might win MVP. And I only said it because I wrote a story about his basketball history earlier today. Um, but with that aside, we got Steph versus Sabrina. We got the three-point contest. We got the dunk contest. We got the all-star game. I know there's the skills challenge and the celebrity game and the rising stars challenge as well. But when you think about those events, I guess the first question I should ask you is what you're most excited about. And then after I figure that out, we can get to some, some picks uh, you know, for winners and MVPs of certain games. I think what I'm most excited about, and maybe it's just because it's shiny and new, I want to see what this whole Steph versus Sabrina thing really looks like. Like, are they going to do this before the three-point contest? Are they going to do it after the three-point contest? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen anything. I personally haven't gone looking to see. They're going to do the regular three-point contest, then Steph versus Sabrina. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I... I guess that makes sense. I was I was kind of thinking that they might kick off Saturday night with this just to kind of like mm-hmm. start with a bang, but that's interesting. They're going to do it after the the actual three point contest. But I'm just excited to see how this whole thing plays out. Um, you know, I know the fans are voting to see who goes first and who goes second. Um, you know, Sabrina said she's going to shoot from the NBA three point line. I actually haven't seen confirmation if she's still planning on doing that. Um, I know she's going to use the women's ball. Obviously, Steph is going to use the men's ball. Um, but, you know, they still have like the, the starry range and all those things uh, that, that play a factor as well. So um, I'm excited to see how they dress it up. And I'm excited how they turn into a production because as everything is at All-Star Weekend, we know it's going to be a production. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, and speaking of that, right, like All-Star Saturday night is going to be on the LED court, which they tried out in FIBA last year. And for those of you who are kind of trying to figure out what that even means or looks like, like it's a little like playing on a TV screen and they're going to change the court depending on what events going on. And I guess it makes sense as far as like the rack set up to do it after the three point contest. But I was thinking about like the court itself, but the court itself doesn't need any changing because it's going to be changed by whoever's controlling the LED court. I'm curious, like what kind of uh, test runs go into figuring that stuff doesn't mess up because 
that would be a really bad look if that uh, messes up during All-Star Saturday night. But I'm sure that's why they get paid the big bucks and they've tried it like a million times and then tried it a million more to make sure uh, that it doesn't mess up. Because you just imagine they're like, you know, like TV screens get like the little multicolored bars or something like that. You just get that on the basketball court during All-Star Saturday night. That would be a nightmare. <laughs> And I feel like, you know, players are going to have like hilarious reactions to the court just like constantly lighting up and changing colors like while they're performing on the floor. Like I'm very <laughs> right. curious to see. I feel like we're going to get some price reactions from guys of like not even like, you know, understanding like the surface that's under their feet and everything right. like that. And I'm looking down at my feet as I say that. But like it's going to be I, I think the LED court is going to be something that um, it was kind of just like passed off in the news. Mm-hmm. I think like they announced at the same time, like NFL playoffs is going on and everything like that. Um, you know, trade deadline, the heat like of that you know, area and everything like that of the the sports calendar. So it's something that I don't think a lot of people even realize is happening and they're not going to realize until they tune in for all-star Saturday night and see everything bright and shining in their face. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to see. And I I think that will add a little bit to the allure of it. Maybe bring some of that nostalgia back, which I'll ask you about uh, in in a little bit, but I guess we talked about Steph and Sabrina. It's after the three point contest, but we'll go out of order first. Last time you said Steph, I said, Sabrina, I'm staying with my pick. Are you still staying with your pick? Because we've heard some guys around the league. I think Clay Thompson and Kyrie picked Sabrina. And, yeah, I think that sounds right. And KD is kind of playing both sides to kind of be an instigator. But wh- wh- where, where do you stand? Nothing new there on the KD front. But um, I'm actually, <laughs> I am going to stick with my pick too. I'm going to stick with Steph Curry. Um, I mean, Sabrina only missed, what, two shots in, in right. her three-point contest when she set the record. Uh, at one point, she hit 20 in a row, which is just absolutely ridiculous. So I think just like Steph knows what he's up against. And yeah. I mean, with all due respect to Sabrina, she's an incredible shooter, but Steph is the greatest shooter in the history of basketball. So, yeah. uh, you know, knowing exactly what he's going up against, I think he's going to bring his A game. I don't think he wants to lose. And, you know, I feel like there's a little bit more pressure on Sabrina because she's kind of the outcast that's coming into NBA All-Star Weekend trying to put on a show um, and trying to replicate what she did at WNBA All-Star Weekend over the summer. So, you know, that's that's an unfair amount of pressure on her shoulders versus Steph, who's just going to go out there and do what he usually does at All-Star Weekend, even though he's not participating in the actual three-point contest. Yeah, it was 37 points out of a possible 40 for Sabrina at, at All-Star. And I think that was like an unconscious level that she tapped into, really hard to replicate. Uh, but I guess I got to stick with her. For the sake of just, you know, one of us is going to be right, one of us is going to be wrong. Real, real <laughs> exactly. quick, if you were in this position, would you rather go first or second? And like, set the bar? Or I guess this is really uh, really t- timely and topical after the Super Bowl that just passed. But, but would you rather set the bar or would you ha- know what you need to match? Uh, I'd take the ball third. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know what? I mean, if you're going up against Steph Curry, you got to go first, right? Like you would rather, I would think you'd rather want to go first. Cause like, I mean, who knows this dude could go out there and hit every single shot that he takes. And you're like, damn, like, well, if I miss one, it's over. It's so over. like, I don't know, like just knowing how good he is at what he does, I would probably just want the ball first. Like I know that, you know, there are probably plenty of people out there that would want to know what their target score mm-hmm. is and know what they're shooting for. But when it comes to going up against the greatest person to shoot a basketball in the history of the sport, I probably just want to go first, get my turn out of the way, and then, you know, see if he can break it. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like it, it like it, it you, you probably are a little bit looser if you're going first. You're setting the bar and then you can kind of relax. But if you're, if you're, you're following whatever Steph does, even if it's like 14, I feel like you're still a little tense and a little nervous. Anyway, that being said, now there's a regular three point contest, some names in there. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I know some that stand out. Malik Beasley, defending champion, Damian Lillard. So the Bucks backcourt is represented down at Mitchell Carlin and the towns that I say. The name of your pick, or is it somebody else in that field of eight? 
you did not say the name of my pick. The name of my pick is Trey Young because I think this okay. guy is just sick of being disrespected. And, you know, I mean, who knows how much playing time he'll really get in the all-star game as a replacement. It's usually kind of like a level of seniority when it comes to those types of things. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like this is kind of his opportunity to show out uh, and be the showman that he is on the all-star weekend stage. And I really do think that he's kind of had this chip on his shoulder that, you know, he missed out on all-star weekend last year after averaging like 20 and 10 at the all-star 25 and 10 at the all-star break. And he gets in, you know, on an injury replacement this year when he probably feels like he should have been just an outright all-star as a reserve. Um, you know, I thought he maybe even had a case as a starter, even though mm-hmm. uh, the Hawks are struggling as a team, but you know, this is his opportunity to kind of show this is why I'm here. And this is why I'm with all the other stars on all-star weekend. I think he's going to win the three point contest. I gave Trey Young a long and hard look for that exact reason. Um, and I think that's a reminder that like these guys really do care. Like it's a three point contest, whatever, but it's like a competition where these guys are, you know, they're smiling, they're laughing, they're enjoying it, but also there's money on the line. But these guys are the biggest competitors in the world. That being said, you might roll your eyes at this one, but I, I, I sense it's going this way. Carl Anthony Towns is going to win another three-point contest, and he's going to add a little more fuel to that best shooting big man of all time argument that he's started a while ago. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where it feels like he, on the other hand, people were a little surprised he got the all-star selection. I think he is just going to, you know, really feeling himself going into this weekend, thinking about, you know, the fact I was looking at three-point percentages for these guys, and he's like, shooting over 40 uh, percent this year. I mean, kudos to him. You know, I think that he and Rudy Gobert have done a lot to like try to make it work in that front court. And, and he's playing, you know, that that stretch four position. He's been one of the NBA's most gifted shooters. Again, so that's to do more, it's, you know, Dirk and whoever else you want to put in that conversation. But I think adding a second three point contest championship will, will add a lot to that argument that he has. So I'm going with Cat. And, of course, the night ends with the dunk contest, the field, Jaime Jaquez Jr., defending champion, Mac McClung, all-star Jalen Brown, and Jacob Toppin, yes, of relation, Obi's brother, who is with the Knicks and Westchester Knicks as a two-way player of the four. I know you wanted to see Jalen Brown in it. Does that mean you think Jalen Brown will win? I mean, I'm going to pick Jalen Brown to win the dunk contest. <laughs> you you already saw that coming, though. I know you already saw that coming. Like, I, I mean, I will say this. Like, Mac McClung is someone that, like, this is, like, what he lives for. And he's going yeah. to come out. And I think he is going to at least attempt dunks that we've never seen before, just like he did last year. Yeah. I, I mean, realistically, he's he's the rightful favorite to win the dunk contest because he, he – I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a good basketball player. Like, he's, like, G League MVP caliber player. But, like – he's a professional dunker. Like this guy is right. a professional dunker. He's been doing this stuff since he was, you know, in high school. So, um, you know, I understand why he's a favorite, but I'm going Jalen Brown, man. I mean, who else can say they've postered Giannis multiple times, Joel Embiid multiple times, Pau Gasol, LeBron James, Rudy Gobert. I mean, this guy, his, his list of posters goes on and on and on. And I kind of hope that he just rolls Giannis out there and like dunks on him or something <laughs> like that, tries to rip the rim off like it's in game. I'm curious to see how creative Jalen Brown can get. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing about Jalen Brown. He's an interesting guy. We know that. He's a character, as we've learned from his interactions with Chris Dabbs Porzingis. So I'll be interested to see his creativity uh, on the dunk contest stage because I do think he is more of a showman than he gets credit for being sometimes. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what he does. I think last year for Mac uh, was the perfect storm. He did some stuff that we hadn't really seen before, captivated everybody, and then the 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 limiting the mistakes i think that's a really underrated part of of being a good dunk contest dunker and 
I guess I'm going off the beaten path here. I, I'm going with the, the, the two way guy this year, uh, Jacob Toppin. We don't know too much about, uh, you know, what he's done, his body of work as a dunker. We know kind of what he did in Kentucky. Now we don't see that much of what he, he's doing, uh, with the Knicks or the Westchester Knicks, but I think that that level of intrigue is going to help him a little bit. I think guys like that, again, kind of what Mac McClung did last year on a two way with the Sixers. He wants to make a name for himself other than being Obi's brother. And in doing that, I think he has some stuff up his sleeve. Um, and we know that the, the, the bounce genes are hereditary. So off the beaten path, it's an interesting cast uh, of characters. I wouldn't sleep on Jaime Jaquez, but um, I, I just feel like – and I don't think that's an indictment on the dunk contest either. I think people are using that as something to kind of like poo-poo on the dunk contest and say, oh, what happened when, like, you know, it was Dominique versus Michael Jordan? Like, those are the old days. That's not, that's not what it is anymore, right? So, you know, I, I think – there's a difference between being like a very powerful dunker or really athletic guy who gets above the rim and being a contest dunker. And the way it is nowadays, most stars in the game aren't necessarily contest dunkers. So I can see Toppin being a really good contest dunker, and we'll see how that plays out for him. Now, Sunday's the main event, all-star game. East versus West is back. No more all-star draft. That said, there's a lot going on, but MVP is what everybody – well, not everybody, but some people are gunning for. Who wins it? Uh, it's a big all-star weekend for proving people wrong. I think Damian mm. Lillard wins his first all-star game oh, MVP. Okay, He got his first ever start in the Eastern Conference this year as an huh. all-star starter. People were not happy about it, myself included. I, on this podcast, was talking about how I thought Jalen Brunson deserved that spot. But Dame is also, as we know, the type of guy that can just go out, knock down you know, 10 plus threes in a game without yep. you know, breaking a sweat. Um, once he gets going, it seems like that hoop looks like the size of an ocean. He can throw it in from the second he steps over half court. Um, you know, I just think that he probably saw a little bit of the chatter online. He is a dude that's like kind of online every now and then. I don't know how much he's online during the season, but he saw the chatter about how people didn't believe he should have been an all-star starter in his first ever nod as a starter. So uh, I like his chances to get hot and get hot in a hurry and put up a ton of points and claim all-star game MVP. I like that pick. It's funny because I think that there, especially nowadays, there is like a formula to win all-star MVP. And I think a big part of that formula is kind of having the game that's conducive for that with Dane that's coming across half court and pulling up and doing that multiple times and making them multiple times. That said, I think another part of the formula is you got to be shooting for it or like, well, I guess literally shooting for it, but like you got to be like, <laughs> like as a goal of yours, you go in to the night saying, I'm going to try and win all-star game MVP. I think Anthony Edwards has that uh, mentality coming into this year's All Star like game. It. I think he was a little he was a little upset that he was an injury replacement last year. He said he didn't even want to count that as an All Star selection for him. He's a guy who the night before we recorded this was having fun talking trash to the Clippers. Took eleven threes, only made one of them. So we know he's not shy to let it fly. I could see him being the guy who, as he said last year, would pull up from Yucatan and knock <laughs> one down, um, and, and just then like. That the the highlight factor, you know, I can see him coming down the lane, a couple dunks, and that stuff adds up because we know the the defense doesn't really ramp up if it does until the end of the game, and I can see him kind of feasting on just being a natural scorer. He's paid his dues a little bit now. He'll play more this year. It's his second All Star game, whether or not he, whether he wants to count last year or not. So we'll have he'll play long enough. He's good enough, obviously, um, and he has the skill set, and, and I think he also has the mentality to try and do that. So I can see Ant. Um, you know, kind of making it a point to do that. Jason Tatum, I've heard, made a point to win it last year. Yep. So now that he's done that, I could see Anthony Edwards kind of being that guy uh, to do that. So we'll see. 
Yeah, I, I was just going to say that uh, Jason Tatum right away after he won All-Star Game MVP last year uh, broke the All-Star Game scoring record. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, after they renamed the trophy after Kobe Bryant, I made it a career goal of mine to get myself one of these. And I think that, you know, with it being named after Kobe Bryant, who has the most All-Star Game MVPs of all time, it's an award that people are going to want to go after now. Um, mm-hmm. It has like, I don't want to say that it has more like, you know, more meaning in terms of like where you stand all time in, in your resume and things like that. But like on a personal level, the way that people love Kobe, it, it makes you want to go get one. And, you know, I mean, there's guys like LeBron who already have a couple, Kevin Durant already have a couple. So now we're starting to talk about guys like Dame, guys like Ant at the time, Jason Tatum, who had never gotten mm-hmm. one. And I think it means a little bit more to them now. No, absolutely. I, I think that, that that's a big part. And I didn't really think about it like that because I know I think the first person to win it when it, after it was named after Kobe was Kawhi. Yep. Uh, in Chicago, and then they introduced a new trophy that's like really in- inspired by Kobe's four All Star Game MVPs and his numbers and all this and all that. Also, by the way, we didn't talk about it last week, or maybe we did for a second. But shout out to Kobe uh, and his family. Three statues outside of Crypto.com Arena. The first one is him after 81 points, and they're going to do one of him wearing 24, and then one of him and Gigi. So I think that's really cool. They're doing it a triangle. So shout out to the triangle offense. But I think just especially this generation that's playing is a generation that was inspired by Kobe and even the generations to come, they weren't necessarily old enough, which is crazy to say old enough to watch Kobe in his prime. Um, But like, it is wild to think like a lot of these guys in the league now were like five and six years old, like when Kobe won his last championship in 2010, but still like the lore of of who he, who he was and the type of player that he was, I think makes that award, you know, mean a little more, especially, you know, the all-star game because he was a guy who played the all-star game the way it was meant to be played and envisioned to be played. And me saying that actually, um, and I feel like I ask you this question in different ways every year, but like, you know, people talk bad about all-star and say this, say that, whatever, whatever. Do you think that part of it is just getting older and like, again, like what we envisioned it as and thought about it as when we were younger and like just, you know, everything around the all-star game, has it been watered down a little bit? Is it a combination of both or is it as good as it's ever been? I really liked like the the whole Elon Mending concept just because mm-hmm. I do think yeah. at least for the first couple of years it ramped up competition and it kind of like elevated some defense at moments in the All Star game. Um, obviously, things went off the rails last year and like the game was almost in the two hundreds. Um, and that's not you know I think that's why people are, are so quick to you know kind of like you said pour water on the idea of the All Star game and, and not tune in because there's no defense being played and stuff like that. I mean, you know, again, you and I are a tough target audience because, or an easy target audience, target audience, I should say, because, uh, you know, we're going to tune in no matter what. It's the world's greatest pickup game. It is the best basketball players on the entire planet going head to head. And even if there are moments where there are no, there's no defense being played, there are also moments where like, you know, one player has the ball in isolation. Everyone's kind of standing around knowing it's their turn to take a possession. And then the person who's defending them actually takes it upon themselves to be like, you know what? No, I'm going to try and get a stop here. We saw it with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown a couple times last year. We've seen it in the past. LeBron James has done it. I mean, there, there are moments where that type of stuff happens. And those are kind of the moments that it's like the most fun. So you do wish that they would pick it up, pick up the defensive intensity, uh, you know, maybe the entire second half or something like that. But at the same time, like, I mean, it's just an exhibition game. Like, it's I understand why it's tough for these guys to like really get up to that level and, and play the way that people want to see the game be played. But you know, at the same time, like it's the world's greatest pickup game. These guys are going out there to put on a show. They want to dunk on dunk in transition. They want to shoot from half court. They want to do all these, you know, kind of pull out all these moves that they would never pull out in a regular NBA game. And I'm all right with that. 
Yeah, and the biggest thing is they don't want to get hurt. And a lot of times right. that happens on accident. And I think sometimes what I, people have told me growing up is like, you know, sometimes you get hurt when you're trying not to get hurt because you're doing so much, you're thinking so much, and like you're not actually playing the right way, and then you're a little more susceptible to injuries. I always think back to, I think it was the 01 All-Star game when the East came back from like 18, 20 down. Probably the best all-star game, or one of the best, at least, that I can remember. I know there were some good battles, you know, Kobe, LeBron going back and forth, this, that, and the third. But when you mentioned it, you talked about it being the best pickup game. It, it is wild to think, like, that maybe, like, save for the Olympics. Like, when else are you ever going to have LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, Anthony Edwards, Devin Booker, like, Luka Doncic, all in the same gym, on the same court, at the same time? ever like it's rare enough that they're all in the same city so like even regardless of if they're you know you know playing horse or doing a half court shot competition like these are generational players more or less a lot of them greatest players we've ever seen play the game Giannis another name I could say in that list of guys the list goes on all 20 you know six guys that were named all-stars this year it's just wild to have that in one place and you and I can speak from being fortunate enough to having have attended, you know, multiple all-star games to see that and kind of be in that environment. It gives you a different kind of appreciation of just like what that is to like be in that air with everybody. There's stars courtside, there are legends, you know, a few rows behind this, that, and the third. So I think that's what makes all-star weekend one of a kind because, you know, the finals is the finals and there's, you know, it could be as many as seven games, but like in some ways that is kind of the NBA Super Bowl because it is, you know, everybody in one place in one city, it moves every year. This year, Indianapolis takes center stage and then, you know, we got the Bay Area and L.A. Uh, stepping up after that. So that's cool. I think that's exciting, uh, you know, about All-Star Weekend this upcoming year. Now, we're going to go into a break. Before we go into the break, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the second half of the season because All-Star, for whatever reason, is often the unofficial midway point of the year, even though teams are, like, approaching 60 games. But as you look back um, on the first half of the season before we look forward, what stood out to you? What's been most memorable for you? Um, and then who stands on top of the mountain as the best team and, and best player in the NBA right now? Not necessarily meaning like it's, you know, finals pick or anything like that, but just, you know, the way the tide is right now. Um, what have we learned from this first half of the season? I think, you know, one of the biggest kind of talking points, keys of the first half of the season, like taking away like the team aspect and individual player aspect really has just been like the scoring outbursts. I know we've talked mm -hmm. about it a ton on this pod before, but I mean, just seeing multiple players scoring 70 points, 60 points in a game is so crazy. Um, and, you know, maybe that's because it was kind of the dog days of the regular season where defense, it, defensive intensity isn't turned all the way up and like we were just talking about, I mean, these guys are just so good at what they do that if you're not going 110% on defense, they're going to find a way to put 70 points on your head. But, um, you know, I think that is kind of the, one of the biggest talking points of the first half of the season. But as for the best player in best team, I, I mean, they're both kind of boring answers. I feel like it's almost like undisputed that right now the best player in the NBA is still Nikola Jokic. I mean, the ease mm -hmm. at which, it, you know, he just dominates every single game and can turn it on and off. Um, you know, we saw him have that game against the Pistons that he took like what two shot attempts, but he still like found his way into a triple double and had a million assists and like, you know, was just very clearly looking to set up his teammates and give somebody else a big night. Um, I mean, the Nuggets are, they're still floating around They're They're hovering around uh, towards the number one seed. I, I mean, I would not be surprised if he really puts his mind to it at the start of the second half of the season that he can kind of push them to where they need to get to, to get to that number one seed. I know that ESPN just released a straw poll today and he is still the favorite to win MVP. I think it's well-deserved. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit in the second half. 
Um, and then when you talk about best team, I mean, you know, they're, they're the defending champs. The Nuggets are the defending champs. Uh, you know, it still goes through the Nuggets. But, I mean, it, the Celtics have been the best team in the NBA through the first half of the season, even if they lost head-to-head to the Nuggets. I know they've had some moments. They lost to the Warriors in overtime. Um, you know, they, they, they've had moments that they have showed their shortcomings the same way that they have in the postseason the past couple of years. Um, but, you know, just on a night-to-night basis, it feels like they're kicking the crap out of everybody that they play. It doesn't matter if it's one of the best teams in the league or one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, when that team brings it in that first six is healthy, they look unstoppable. And I'm very curious to see if they can kind of keep that same energy going into the second half of the season, knowing they have as big of a lead uh, on the pack as they do right now. Um, but at the same time, you know, just kind of try and maintain that balance of staying healthy and making sure that everybody is ready to go for the postseason so that way they don't come up short again. Yeah, I like the, the Celtics. I think they've done themselves a disservice. And it's like not even like in a bad way. They just have been so good that like, you have to nitpick, right? And, and like the the biggest thing about them is the moves that they made, um, getting Drew Holiday, getting Porzingis. One, it's impressive that they've been this good in the regular season, but we won't really know about who they actually are until the postseason, right? So I think it's 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 kind of under, understand why people are like kind of judging the Celtics team the same way that they've been judged in the past, but it's not the same team. And what we won't know, what we need to know about them, we won't know until, you know, April, May, when that, when that time comes. Can't argue with you on, on Jokic, um, I guess maybe being a prisoner at the moment, or, or honestly, maybe just me overcompensating for writing them off so quickly. I'm really impressed uh, with the Clippers. So the Clippers and what they've done since Russ moved to the bench. Looking at their record, looking at what Kawhi's been doing, been available, MVP level maybe. We'll talk about that more uh, mm-hmm. as that goes. And, and the way the Clippers kind of fit in as the team right now, in this very moment, I think just like right now, if everybody had to play a game seven, I would pick them right now. But we know their shortcomings, and we judge them based on their franchise's misfortune, <laughs> even back to the Buffalo days. So they are up against way more history than the Celtics are going against, you know, the last couple of years of their franchise. But that ties in with the storyline, um, you know, thinking about the Western Conference and looking at Minnesota, OKC, Denver, and L.A., not knowing, you know, which one of those teams is actually going to kind of rise to the top. They could all, you know, be in contention for that one seed. And I think, you know, they could end up beating up on each other, you know, in the first or second round, depending on who lands where, because, you know, one plays four in the second round and four advances and two plays three. So, you know, it's interesting to see how that shapes up. You know, if one of those teams is more susceptible to an upset, if they avoid an upset by moving up in, in, in the in the conference standing. So I'm really intrigued, you know, by the Western Conference and, and kind of what that is. I think that's been a big story from the first half of the season. And, and it's something that I'll definitely be following uh, down the stretch front. Yeah. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head there where it's like wherever Denver ends up, I mean, they're going to be a tough <laughs> second round matchup. But you also got to you got to. You know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So no matter where right. they end up, you're probably going to have to go through Denver at some point. But, you know, I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, just how congested the Western Conference is in general right now. And where are teams like Dallas, Los Angeles, mm. uh, the Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers, not the Clippers, but the Clippers as well. But, you know, even like the Golden State Warriors, like mm. where are these types of teams going to end up? Are they going to be playing teams? And then all of a sudden, you know, your reward for winning the number one or number two seed in the West <laughs> turns into, all right, you got to play either like, you know, one of the best dynasties uh, that we've seen in our lifetime on their, you know, as they're on their way out uh, or LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who have already proved that when they really are, are healthy and, and uh, you know, kind of firing on all cylinders, they're capable of making a run to the Western conference finals and beyond, uh, you know, that'd be a scary, a scary, scary sight and a scary thought 
for you know a young team like whether it's Minnesota or Oklahoma City. Yeah, we just saw it last year, like what the Lakers were able to do as a seven seed, and and you know again that championship moxie, championship medal, whatever you want to call it, they use that in their to their favor and, and advantageous matchup as well. Um, and that could happen. And I think we talked about this before, like these teams aren't necessarily going to be afraid of that moment. We talked about West contenders and some stuff going on at the bottom of the Western Conference, which is worth talking about, and we'll get to that right after a quick break. I hinted at it, but a night before we recorded this, Victor Wimbenyama has done it again. <laughs> he is breaking basketball, I, I guess. Like, um, I don't know. His second second triple double of his NBA career, of his young NBA career, and we're talking forty eight games. His first one was with assists, but last night in Toronto, twenty seven points, fourteen rebounds, and ten blocks. Also had five assists while he was at it. So, I mean, but in 29 minutes of action, he is the future. He is the present. I guess you could say if he's doing stuff like that. Um, also a blowout win for the Spurs over the Raptors. Um, I mean, what are, what are we saying? About, like, the craziest thing about this is that, like, and people say it, and it's, like, kind of cliche, but it is true. This is the worst he's ever going to be. Like, I guess save for, like, the tail end of his career. But, like, this is the worst. He's ever going to, again, two weeks from now, he's going to be better than he is right now. And he's already doing this. What can we say <laughs> about Victor Wembanyama? He is just, he's everything that he was touted to be. Like, this kid That's is just, it, it's insane, man. Like, I mean, when I went to see him play against Scoot, uh, that mm-hmm. was my first time ever seeing him in person. I had heard him talk in interviews and stuff before, but it was the first, like, you get a different feel for somebody when you're standing next to him or, or right. looking up at him. <laughs> um, <laughs> But like just the way that he carries himself, I've probably said it on here before, but like the way that he carries himself and the confidence that he has and like even just like how I'm just like so impressed by how he like understands everything around him. Like he is like so um, like just polished and poised and like you can just tell he was kind of groomed for this moment his entire life. And now that he's here, like the moment is not too big for him. The spotlight's not too big for him. He, he is prepared for this his entire life. And now he's on an NBA court doing exactly what he was expected to do. I mean, I know. You know, well, first off, the Spurs aren't winning games because the team around him is not very good, to be just, you know, quite frank. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, he struggled a little bit out of the gate and he admitted that, you know, there, there were more growing pains than he expected coming to the NBA and trying to figure out how to get to his spots and the spacing and the different things that you can do to kind of, you know, not cheat the game, but like, you know, kind of like play the game within the game a little bit that all the vets, you know, you're supposed to have vets that are able to teach you those types of things. That's the other thing. The Spurs don't really have any like vets to specifically mentor him in the locker room. I know he's done a lot of work with Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, uh, David Mm -hmm. Robinson, Boris Diaw, guys that have played in the organization before, but you know, he's kind of figuring this thing out on the fly and they're, they really are just kind of like letting him have it and, and just kind of like, just throwing him out there and seeing what he can do despite not having a ton of talent around him. And then he produces games like last night and you're like, well, yeah, this is why the guy was touted as a generational talent. I I pulled some numbers over his last 15 games because, you know, I test was telling me that this guy is really starting to figure it out. And over his last Mm -hmm. 15 games, he's averaging 22 points, basically 10 rebounds. I think it was 9.7 rebounds, three blocks, three assists, one steal shooting 50% from the field, 38% from three. That to me sounds like somebody who is really starting to figure things out. And it's just, I mean, it's incredible. He's leading the NBA in blocks. I know uh, our colleague, Steph No wrote over on the Sporting News about how he really needs to be taken seriously as a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. And I just think that, you know, performances like last night are just a, a they start, they're con- going to continue throughout his rookie year. 
to serve as a constant reminder that like at some point in this guy's career, he's going to join the Giannis's and the Hakeem Olajuwon's of players who have won MVP and defensive player of the year in the same season. Because, you know, I mean, it's only 40 something games into his career, but I already feel pretty confident saying that. I don't know if you would feel confident going against that. No, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because it's, it's similar to the LeBron thing in the sense of what we were saying is that like, this guy has like this level of hype that you're like, there's no way he meets this, right? Like it's unfair to put this level of hype on a teenager, right? Like what, what are we doing? Like, let's, let's temp- tape our expectations a little bit. Like let's temper our expectations a little bit. Like let's just, just let, let, let the young man figure it out. And then he comes and he has, you know, some moments here and there where he stumbles a little bit because he's 19 years old. And then he's doing this, you know, less than 50 games into his career. And it's like, wait a second, we might not have been expecting enough <laughs> from him. Like we might have, we might have been like kind of like shortchanging what he's capable of doing. And it's insane. It's ridiculous. I think the most impressive thing that we talked about when you saw him and you, and you noted this, you know, when you kind of sat in, on his first media sessions and, and you kind of mentioned it just now, like he's always been built for this and like mentally you know like you see him walk in the game with books that he gets past the first page of and like he's actually reading these books to kind of keep his mind you know fresh and like they talked about like how serious he is about his sleep and this that and the third and like all the tools and doing like the little things to be a star he does and then he's in the perfect situation like to be in san antonio to follow the lineage of David Robinson and Tim Duncan and now be that next great big man that they drafted first overall because they've had some other good big men that have played for the Spurs. But in that lineage of number one overall picks and to work with Greg Popovich, who worked with both of, both of them as well, it's the perfect storm. And like, it's crazy. You mentioned, yeah, I, I can see him. He, he probably will do it all in one season, MVP, DPOI, finals MVP. It's going to happen, I'm sure, whether it's five or seven years down the line, it's going to happen. Which brings you to the question I was going to ask you. So four times in NBA history, there's been a quadruple double. And I was looking at it, crazy enough, two of them happened to be by San Antonio Spurs, Alvin Robertson, and David Robinson. There's also the rare feat of the five-by-five game. You get five plus in five different statistical categories. What do you think Wimby will do first? And do you think he'll do both at some point in his career? Quad, quadruple, double, five by five. Yes, no for both, either. And which one's coming first? Well, you, you before this said that you had a question for me and you weren't going to tell me what it was ahead of time. And it looks like we were on the same page because literally in this section, <laughs> in my notes for Victor Wembanyama, I was going to ask you the same exact question. What happens first? We're a five in. by five or a quadruple double. And I even have written down the four people who have gotten a quadruple double in NBA history. Admiral Hakeem Olajuwon, Alvin Robinson, who did it with steals, and Nate Thurman. So we are on the same page. I say yes to both. I think he accomplishes accomplishes both. Uh, I actually thought last night he was going to get the five by five already. Um, yeah. I, I honestly, like, I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, I literally think he gets a quadruple double this year. Like, I think there are going to be so? moments. I, I like, I just feel like he really is just out there running wild right now. Like, they are just letting him do whatever the hell he wants on that basketball court, go out there and figure it out and, and figure out what you're comfortable with. And like, he's passing the ball pretty well. And like, mm. I mean, obviously, he's been a blocks machine. He had 10 last night. 
I don't see why he can't put it all together in the same game. And maybe that's just, you know, throwing out a hot take. But, like, I, I mean, it's not completely unfathomable. He had five assists last night. He already had the rest of the triple-double. He only needed five more. Like, I'm sure if we went back and looked at potential assists, he probably could have had, like, seven or eight potential assists or something like that. You know, now I wish I looked at those numbers before we even hopped in here. But, like, I feel like he, I feel like he can make it happen. I mean, he's... What he's doing right now is insane. You said MVP conversation or DPOY conversation in five to seven years. Like, what is stopping this guy from going out and winning MVP or defensive player of the year literally as soon as next year? Like, I'm trying not to be overreactive, but to like, to your point of like the conversations that were happening during like the draft cycle and everything like that of like, is this too much pressure on him? And now, like, looking back on it, we're like, you know, could the spotlight have been even brighter? Like, like, could these comparisons have been even more ridiculous? Like, th- that's how he already has us reacting a couple months into his NBA career. I mean, after the, another full season in in one off season of training to get his body right again and, and know what he's got ahead of him for the, the upcoming season, like, I don't know, man. I, I think it could happen as soon as next year. That's the other thing you mentioned, like an off season of training. Like, we didn't even really talk about how much of a whirlwind his off season was, right? Like, he finished playing in France, and then like 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 no less than like a day or two later, he's in New York for the draft, and then he's like in San Antonio. They're like, okay, just relax a little bit. Don't need to come to Salt Lake City. We're gonna play you in Vegas. And the San Antonio Spurs knew we can't play him too much in Vegas. He's been playing basketball since like September, so we'll give him a little bit of, of time to relax. I know he's had like the ankle injury, and he's a one of a kind. We've never seen a player like him before, career arc wise. And we obviously, I know we talk about, joke about being old men uh, when we complain about uniforms and stuff. But newsflash, we are far too young to have seen Kareem. But I'm sure that Kareem's career arc was pretty similar, obviously different because he did the college thing at UCLA and is the greatest winner on the college level of all time. But thinking about like accolades and just like ascension to stardom wise, Luca is a recent example, but LeBron, it feels like, is the most similar to where by year three in LeBron's career, when he was, you know, 20, about to turn 21, people were starting to ask the question, wait, is this the best player in the NBA? The answer might not have been yes, but it wasn't a crazy question to ask at that point. And then the next year he was leading (laughs) the Cavs to the finals. You know what I mean? So like it happens that fast. And it's just interesting now to look at it from this perspective, covering the game, having seen him as a prospect, having managed the hype and or I guess trying to like figure out where the hype was and seeing that now. And I think again, like, you know, Tim Duncan came as a very polished four year player, studied for four years at a great institution that really got him ready to go for the NBA. Oh, um, but seriously, there was a 22 year old coming into the league. That's why he was like an all NBA caliber player as a rookie. Like Wimby came in the league at 19 and is doing what he's doing now, you know, 19 just turned 20 uh, about a month ago. So it does kind of feel like that LeBron James, I guess, path towards just being the best player in the league before we can really blink our eyes. Yeah. And I think that's like a really good reminder for anybody who, you know, might hear us talking about him and they're like, well, the Spurs are one of the worst teams in the NBA and they're pretty close to dead last. Like, I mean, LeBron missed the playoffs his first two years in the league before he carried Mm -hmm. the team to the finals. So it's like, you know, it's going to take time for these franchises. I mean, Ricky Davis thought they were bringing LeBron to, to, you know, build around him. But like, you know, it's a little bit more clear for Wemby. Oh, I guess at one point it was like, well, are they building around Jeremy Sohan or are they building around Wemby? But <laughs> no, I mean, I, like in all seriousness, though, it's going to take a little bit of time, especially for a player as unique as Wemby. 
it's going to take time to figure out what the right like pieces are to to put around him. And obviously, yeah. you know, point guard is a position they're going to need to upgrade. Even though Trey Jones, I think, has done a very good job since he mm-hmm. became the, the full time starter. But you know, it's going to take time for them to figure out who the right guys are to put around him. The same way that it was with LeBron in Cleveland, for different reasons, the way that he commands the game, the pace of the game, always has the ball in his hands, things like that. But once they found the right, I mean. I don't even want to say they found the right pieces. They just found players who were capable of playing at a level high enough that LeBron could carry them to the finals. Like it's kind of the same deal with Wemby, right? It's like once they find the right role players to put around him, who knows how good he could be and how good he can make that Spurs organization and how fast it's going to happen. A hundred percent. I think that's the thing that's important to when differentiating the two, right? Because I know people might like roll their eyes and say like, well, the Cavs are way better teams. I think like it's important to note that like, it's much easier to impact the game with a team that's not suited to your needs as a shooting guard, small forward, which is what LeBron was playing to start his career, than it is as a center that kind of relies on people to get you the ball. And the fact that Wimby is still figuring out ways to do what he's doing without the perfect team around him speaks to the fact that this is a team that, like, they, they've got their 11 wins at the time of recording, probably will go into the all-star break at 11 or 12 wins, whatever the case is. But like they're the type of team with him that could make a 15, 20, 25 win leap next season if they build the right way. And if there's anything we've learned about the San Antonio Spurs is that they build the right way. And he's been so good. It's going to be a destination that people want to go play with him because they know, just like we know, this is a guy who's going to win championships. And if you want to win championships, that's a good place to, to go do it. You might have to put up with some stuff for like a year or two, but you know, by that third season, They'll, they'll be at the top of the Western Conference. Now, talked a lot about Wimby as we kind of wind down here. I know we talked a little bit looking back retrospectively to the first half of the season as we go forward to the second half of the season, this last 20, 25 games post-All-Star break. What are we expecting? What are you thinking? Now, what, what, what do we have our eye on? I talked a little bit about the races in, in the Western Conference. We didn't talk too much about the East outside of the Celtics, but there's also award races that we have our eye on and beats out of the MVP race now. Shea, Luka, Jokic, Giannis. Um, sounds like Wimby's running away with Rookie of the Year. But otherwise, there's a lot that needs to be settled during this stretch run of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think MVP is a great place to start. And we talked about how Jokic is leading that straw poll right now, even though the Nuggets are the number four seed in the West. I think it's one of those situations where, like, Shea – like the Thunder are going to have to finish first for Shea to win MVP, or at least like that's kind of how it's feeling. Cause to me right now, like he is playing at an MVP level. I'm like trying to tread lightly before, you know, if Scott Rafferty is tuning in and hears me hating on Jokic, I'm not hating on Jokic. I just like, what else, like what else would Shea have to do to prove that he has been like the most valuable player to his team uh, aside from, you know, it just seems like he's going to have to, um, you know, get OKC to that number one overall seed in the Western Conference. And if he does, I do think he could win MVP. You talk about Kawhi Leonard. He's another one that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. He's someone who has played at an MVP caliber um, level before. I mean, I think about 2019 with the Raptors, 2018-19 with the Raptors. Like that was MVP caliber. He just didn't play enough games. And he's one of those guys who, I mean, he already has multiple finals MVPs, but you kind of look at his kind of his regular season career and you're like well that's a guy that even if he was playing at MVP level he would never play enough games to win the award and right now he is on pace to play enough games to win the award so if they finish as the number one seed in the west you know would someone really go and give Nikola Jokic his third MVP uh, over you know one of those two players if those two teams are higher in the standings 
I, I mean, we've seen it before. I don't think it's impossible. And I, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be deserved. I already talked about how I think he's the best player on the planet still to this day right now. But, you know, maybe it is voter fatigue, like the voter fatigue aspect of it where I'm like, all right, I'd like to see somebody else get the award. But it would be really cool if OKC or even the Clippers could jump up to that number one seed and someone like Shea or Kawhi could take home MVP. Yeah, I think that finishing first in the year like this and, and we're navigating the new rules and, you know, games played, minimums, this, that, and the third – um, you know, I, I've seen the the arguments starting to kind of fire up a little bit. You know, talk about Luka Doncic, um, who will be 25 at the end of the month. I think LeBron was 25 when he won his first. I know we compare their careers a lot. Um, and thinking about the narrative type of MVP award, and thinking about Jokic's MVP award when his team, you know, wasn't at the top of the standings, just because he meant so much for that team. Same for Russ when he won it. Um, that's the one, I guess, kind of dark horse candidate I would look at from that perspective um, as far as not necessarily being like off the beaten path, but just more in a sense of like, we've seen it before and like Kyrie's been in and out of the lineup in, in Dallas. They've kind of overhauled their roster. And we talked about it last week after the trade deadline. We knew that PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford would be all right because of who they were coming to play with. So I think, you know, we talk about the definition of being the most valuable player. That is what it is for him. Um, but I do think it would take kind of what we were talking about after Embiid's 70-point game. It, it would take, you know, that MVP stretch that would have to sway the narrative a little bit where he averages 38 and 10 for like a, a 7 to 10 game stretch and they and they win, you know, you ring off a, a win streak or something like that. And that I think that could shift things. I say all that to say, I guess the shorter way of saying is we're in a point right now that any of these guys have a clear path or a clear path of action that they could do that sways it in their in their direction. I, I think that it's kind of even more or less leaning towards Jokic right now, but there's something that a lot of these names that we mentioned can do that sways it in their direction. Yeah, and I also think like as you're talking about this and, and you bring up Luca and I think that's, you know, he's obviously someone who is in that race. Like to me, like I almost think that like the MVP is, it almost can't come out of the Eastern conference this year, if that makes sense. Because like no, yeah. Joel Embiid is like we said, he's out of the picture because he's not going to reach the games played. He would have been the candidate who, you know, I mean, he very well could have had a case to go back to back, but you know, you look at someone like Jason Tatum who is playing at an MVP level, but he's not mm -hmm. really going to get the credit that he deserves because of how much talent he has around him. Whether that's right or wrong, you know, you can kind of debate with somebody else. But uh, he would be that to me. He would be that candidate in the East. Like I don't think Giannis. I mean, as good as Giannis has played, I don't think Giannis is really like to me in that MVP conversation because you know he's supposed to have just as much talent around him as some of the other guys that we've talked about. Whether it's Luca or I mean, maybe not Jokic, but whether it's Luca, Shea, whatever. Like you know, the Bucks were supposed to be better than those teams, and they're right there in that same mix with those teams. So to me, Giannis. You know, he wouldn't be a more deserving candidate to me than like Jason Tatum would be. And then you look at someone right. like Jalen Brunson or like Donovan Mitchell, who has been so good. Like they have yeah. been incredible for their respective teams. And if they can continue to play at the pace at the you know pace that they have as of late as two of the hottest teams in the NBA, like of course their names would bubble up in that conversation. But again, like unless they were to hurdle the Celtics, it would be really tough for one of them to like kind of break through that conversation, especially with how tight things are in the West. So like, to me, it really does kind of feel like it's going to come from either Luca carrying the Mavs to a top six seed in the West and putting up, you know, 35 points per game the way that he is. It's going to come from Jokic 
you know, doing what Jokic does, being the best player on the planet, getting the Nuggets back to the number one seed. It's going to come from Kawhi or Shea claiming that number one seed. Like those are the paths that you were just talking about that make the most mm-hmm. sense. Where like to me in the East, those paths almost get cut off because it's like, all right, well, you know, if you're not the number one seed in your in your conference and the guy who's the best player on the best team in the NBA right. as a number one seed in your conference isn't in the conversation, how do you really join that conversation and have a case that's stronger than one of the guys we just talked about in the West? Yeah, it's interesting because when we were talking names, like it wasn't even disrespectful or a sign of disrespect or like overlooking that we didn't mention Jason Tatum. And it, he hasn't really been mentioned in these conversations like that seriously yet up to this point in his career, but there's no denying that he is the best player on the best team in the NBA. And he, he should, you know, that, that warrants probably a top five, top seven MVP finish. But I think the narrative is kind of stale. And I think that kind of has to do with what we talked about with them doing a disservice and being so good and just getting nitpicked so much. I think that there's something that the idea or a concept of getting over the hump for whatever reason, people, voters, maybe, don't want to be a mind reader, but that kind of feels like that's what's um, standing in the way. You talked about Luca. One more thing, you mentioned the top six seed, and that made me, I guess we wrap this second half of the segment, second half of the season segment, I'm thinking about, I'm looking at the standings as it is right now, and this could change before All-Star, but going into All-Star, teams in the play-in picture in the East and the West, in the East, Orlando, Indiana, Miami, Chicago, Atlanta, in the West, New Orleans, Phoenix, Sacramento, Dallas, the Lakers, the Warriors, Jazz, Rockets, who you mentioned earlier. As we wind down the second half of the season, what do you see staying the same? What do you see changing? And I guess of these borderline playoff playing tournament teams, who is the most intriguing to you or which teams are the most intriguing to you? Because we've seen last year two playing teams go really deep the heat with the finals though so. yeah i think like you know in the western conference right now with all due respect to like the jazz who are exciting at you know in stretches mm-hmm. and have been exciting in stretches during the season and the rockets who are really trying to like you know get themselves into that like playoff conversation even though they're still young in in probably mm-hmm. you know maybe behind schedule based on the moves that they made this offseason they expected to be a playoff contender and they are they're knocking on the door but you know with with all due respect to those two teams like I do kind of feel like the 10 teams that are in the play in picture playoff picture in the west right now mm-hmm. are going to be the 10 teams that end up making the playoffs now how that actually shakes out in the standings that is a complete toss up you know you could tell me in pretty much any order that those teams finish and I would probably believe you um, but, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about, about, you know, if, if Golden State or the Lakers or Dallas is a team that ends up being a play-in team, and then you win the number one seed or number two seed in the Western Conference, and that's who you're playing in the first round, you're not going to be happy about that. The same no. way the Kings last year, when they had that breakout and they finally broke the streak and made the playoffs, their reward was getting the Golden State Warriors in the first round who took them to seven games and beat them on their home court. So, you know, I think that, you know, we could see a similar situation depending on how the West shakes out uh, once we do get to playoff time. Now in the East, that's where I'm a little bit more intrigued because, uh, you know, you talk about the teams that are in that playing range. And I think that there could be, you know, a changing the guard and shifting around there. But like, I still think that number six seed in the East is very much up for grabs. Uh, you know, I think the top five teams in some order, uh, you know, Boston, mm-hmm. Milwaukee, Philly, Cleveland, and New York, uh, based on who's hot and Good who's set. cold are going to kind of move around in those seeds. But I think those, those are going to be the top five seeds in the Eastern Conference. 
the six seed, I would have, you know, sat here and told you it's the Miami Heat, but they got a lot of stuff going on. Terry Rozier just right. went down. Jimmy Butler's away from the team. It just seems like injuries are kind of piling up for them at the wrong time. Um, you know, not necessarily the wrong time, but you know, as they're trying to right, claim that number yeah. six seed, um, I, I think it opens the door a little bit, and that's where you know the younger, kind of more exciting teams like the Magic. Well, I don't mean more exciting compared to the Heat. I just you know, kind of the newer yeah. teams, the newer faces that we're not used to seeing. The Magic are a team that can very easily claim that number six spot. Paolo and Franz Wagner are playing at an unbelievable level. The Pacers obviously made moves to try and jump into that top six by acquiring Pascal Siakam. So I'm I'm really curious to see who finishes with that number six seed in the East. Uh, you know, and it probably if if the Heat can get healthy in in due time after the All Star break, it probably still is Miami. But I would love to see Orlando. If I'm going to throw one team out there, I would love to see Orlando claim that seed. I, I'm with you on the magic, actually, as I kind of look at those teams, like nothing against Indiana or Miami. I think more so just thinking about the magic having not really been on this stage in a while. And the last time they were, I guess it hasn't really been that long. They're in the playoffs in 2020. Um, and it's wild to think they, but they were in that perpetual, like first seven round seed, exit. first round exit, maybe yep. still game one on the road against the eventual <laughs> champions. Shout out to DJ Augustine. Um, but that was the peak of what they could do. They rebuilt, they did it the right way and really did it pretty quickly. When you think about it, the fact that, you know, that first round exit was four years ago, they have a new franchise player in Paolo Bancaro. They have all the tools around him, Franz Wagner, as you mentioned. Um, it, it's an, it's a fun team. It's an exciting team. Um, and I, I'm looking tonight as we record this, Shaq's getting his jersey retired. I, I think I saw this is their first home game on national television since 2013 so i I think i saw it's the first national television or nationally televised game of paulo's career which i mean he's only been in the nba for two seasons but like still wild wow he was the number one pick last year wow he didn't get a single national tv game and the story behind that 2013 game they had on national tv was because the heat had won 26 in a row it got flexed because the Heat were on the way to get NBA <laughs> history, and that's why the Magic were on national TV. I think I saw like Jameer Nelson in the clip. That's how long it's been, right? Or if it wasn't Jameer Nelson, it was definitely like I don't even know who was on that. So it was the Magic, like that, might have been like Tobias Harris uh, Magic era. But I think people should see what's going on down there. Like you mentioned, they'll see they'll see uh, Paolo in the All Star game, and then they'll learn about what's going on with the Magic. They're a fun team. They're they're kind of on that path. I think it's fun because they're playing the Thunder in this game tonight, and like they're kind of on that same trajectory, just like a step behind. So seeing those two teams rebuild the right way, so I'm excited. We'll see if the Magic do it. We'll we'll, we'll kind of continue to follow that. That'll be a fun race to follow in the Eastern Conference. As we wrap here, shout outs, of course, Kyle. Who you got this week? I have a old man yells at cloud shout out for this week. Oh boy, it is. An annual rant, an annual thing that gets me so fired up, and that is change the skills challenge back to what it used to be. (laughs) It gets me so mad. That used to be my favorite event at All-Star Weekend when it was like Steve Nash, Chris Paul, Darren Williams, and they would, you know, dribble. Yeah, LeBron did it. Like Kobe did they, it. Like, they legit competed. Like they were going yep. all out to beat each other's scores. And they're, you know, bobbing and weaving around the the things and then like throwing like half court chess passes, bounce passes, all this stuff. Gotta make a free throw, gotta make a three, gotta make a layup. It was like so complex and it took up the whole court. And it was legitimately competitive. And a lot of times it was the best playmakers in the NBA that were constantly competing in this. And it was my favorite event at All-Star Weekend. Like to Kind of like sound off even a little bit more. When I was a little kid, I had the mini hoop that I have behind my head right now. If, you, if you're watching a video, 
I had the mini hoop set up in my kitchen and I used to take the trash barrels out of our bathrooms, like the mini bathroom trash barrels. And I would set them up around the house. And then I would go to the microwave and instead of like, like cook timer, like I would just do the timer on the microwave, set it to like one minute. And me and my friends would like go around my house doing chest pounds, chest passes and bounce passes, trying to complete the skills challenge in my kitchen. Like that was my favorite event. They have screwed that event up. I don't even know how many years ago it was, but every single year now I tweet something about how you have to bring back the old skills challenge. That is my shout out. That's my rant. <laughs> shout out to the old skills challenge format and whoever created it. I, I don't, I've seen, I've seen people say they should just get rid of whatever it is now, like the teams of three doing this, doing that and uh, points for this. I'm with you. Bring it back to what it was. Get some stars going. Get, you know, Trey Young, De'Aaron Fox, Jalen exactly. Brunson, whoever it is, you we need me. that back. And, and even like some big guards, get Scotty in there. He'll maybe if he makes a layup. You could still have Wemby and like Paulo and, and those guys Wemby, in it too. Right. They would do it. They would be. They would yeah. love to do it. Bring it back. Yeah, yeah. Bring it back. There it is. I, how do I top that? I don't know how to top that. I'm not going to top <laughs> that. But I am going to give a shout out. Take it to college basketball. Take it to Iowa City. Shout out to Caitlin Clark as we record this. Let's she go. is eight points away from passing Kelsey Plum as the all-time leading scorer in women's Division One basketball. Meaning when you hear this after they play on Thursday, barring something completely unforeseen for somebody who averages over 32 points per game, she will be number one. Uh, again, I mentioned before I got a chance to see her play in person earlier in the year was an experience and watching her play is an experience actually coming off of an L uh, over the weekend. So I'm sure she'll be motivated to win in more ways than one. And she's right on the heels of pistol Pete Maravich for the all time lead in division one basketball. But I think it's time to make a quick aside for Pete Maravich. What he did in three years without a three point line is absolutely insane. Average over 44 points per game in 83 games. That's like, to call him a bucket getter would be disrespectful and an understatement because <laughs> that's like what what did John Wall say to uh, Bradley? But you getting bucket buckets? He's getting like <laughs> bucket bucket buckets. Um, what he did at LSU over three seasons. But Caitlin Clark, uh, putting raising the bar to a level we might not see reached again. I know there's somebody in Southern California that might have that record uh, on, on their mind a couple years down the line. But for now, big shout out to Caitlin Clark. Uh, we'll see. She could stay for another year. I doubt she does. She'll probably be, if she at least, she'll be the number one pick by the Indiana Fever. So everything's trending in Indiana right now. Got All Star Weekend this upcoming weekend, and then uh, she'll be number one pick uh, once she decides to declare for the WNBA draft. Yeah, uh, I mean, really have to just double down on that. Shout out Caitlin Clark. <laughs> if you haven't tuned in to watch her play yet, she's absolutely ridiculous. And honestly, this wasn't something I knew until uh, meeting that Gil and I had earlier. Um, you know, I, I didn't get a, get around to seeing if this was the case on the women's side, but Trey Young is the only player in men's NCAA history to lead the country in points and assists per game. Caitlin Clark right now at the time of recording is leading the country in both points and assists per game. She's averaging, I think it's over 32 points per game and over yep. eight assists per game. So I don't know if anybody's ever done that on the women's college side. I know Trey Young is the only player who has ever done it on the men's college side, but that just goes to show you how dominant she has been and how prolific she is as a playmaker, not just as a scorer, but also as a passer. She is just, you know, she can do it all on the court. She's about to break the scoring record. I mean, Kelsey Plum talked about how, you know, that was a record that kind of like bogged her down a little bit. That's going to be, yeah. that's going to be Caitlin Clark's record for, you know, I mean, it feels like it could be for a while, but like you said, Juju oh, wow. Watkins is right on her tail. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, if she can break that. 
Yeah, we could be shouting out Juju three years from now. She's averaging 27 and a half points per game. She's second in the country uh, in scoring. But again, shout out to Caitlin Clark uh, and shout out to the Iowa women's team because obviously they're trying to compete. So we'll talk more about her and them and college basketball as a whole because March Madness is coming up and we'll talk about that and parlay that into some NBA draft talk. But until then, enjoy All-Star Weekend. If you hear this before All-Star Weekend, but regardless of when you hear this, appreciate you tuning into NBA Sound System and subscribing to the podcast wherever you get the podcast. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. We will catch you back here once the second half of the NBA season, or the unofficial second half of the NBA season, gets underway.